Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Spartan World Championships athlete panel. We look forward to seeing each and everybody out here this weekend. It's a store great. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. This is a special episode. We are out here in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, and we're just going to, uh, in essence, bring a message of strength and size and see how it fits in with a lot of these uh, obstacle course and uh, CrossFit type athletes that are here uh, we've been invited to be on a podcast or panel and that sort of thing, so we're just going to offer uh, clips from around the event and then some tabletop discussions between Phil and Mike and myself uh, and probably answer some listener questions and do some other things as well. So let's just get to this hodgepodge of cool stuff that we're seeing this weekend. Yo! That's what we needed to get the people over here. Mm, people. Look at them all come running. <laughs> Michael T. Nelson, Dr. Michael T. Nelson from Iron Radio. Hello. Hey, bud. It's good to hey, see buddy. you. Usually we're doing this one-on-one. We have so many people hanging out on this set. I know. Look Vernon at that. Foster from ACAST. What's up? How you doing, man? Doing great, man. The first time I met you. First time. Phenomenal. It's a great experience. Julia Starrett, The Ready State. What up? Matt Davis, Obstacle Racing Media. Good afternoon. Um, we want to kick this thing off, and you're right next to me, Mr. Ben Greenfield. Yeah, we're taking Yes. <laughs> uh, but you come from a very science-specific uh, background. You have your P- what was your PhD in again? Uh, PhD in exercise physiology. Um, your show gets into the, into the weeds on a lot of the um, elements that help these athletes grow. Um, can you just dig into a little bit of like how we can take your podcast, Iron Radio, um, and a lot of just HRV... Uh, there's, there, we've talked about a ton of stuff on our show together, but using the information that you guys put together on Iron Radio and actually using it out on the mountain and, and building um, building athletes. Yeah, so <clears throat> we like to think of it as kind of the meathead versus egghead. So that's myself, Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and Coach Phil Stevens. So we'll have everything from guests from powerlifting to different athletics to actual hardcore researchers and in between. So I think it's the overlapping of how those fields are expressed. There's a lot of academics who are really good, but they don't necessarily train people. There's a lot of trainers, I think, who are very good, but may not necessarily understand the academic side. And how do you bridge those two together? Because I think we can learn from uh, both sides. There's also a lot of new advances that trainers may not have heard of. And there's also things trainers are doing that you know academics are just starting to study now, and it'll be two, three, four five years before even a study is finished on it so it's the overlap of those two areas uh podcasters people that can can run the same risk like you you can speak science very very well and a lot of times it'll go over people's heads um but you also have a a pretty good brain on you on how to communicate with the average athlete um where does where does that balance come with you yeah, I think we get around it a little bit by doing like a news section. So if there's a news part, we'll talk a little bit about the study. And so 
some of those get to be kind of pretty in-depth, but it's also very short and limited. Um, some of the researchers you get will be a little bit more in-depth, but then we'll try to bring on like a power lifter or someone else on the other side. And then also when uh, Coach Phil Stevens isn't on, so Dr. Lonnie and I tend to run much more geekier <laughs> at those points. Um, but people will know that just from listening to the episodes. So if people are into that, then they'll probably be a little bit more into that. And then the following episode, like I said, we may have more of a, I don't want to stereotype, but a more meathead, power lifter, more training type of um, approach. So trying to bridge those two gaps because at the same point, we're emphasizing the, the basics, but people only want to listen to that so long too. So where's the fine line of, yeah, you want to do the basics and here's a good thing to do answering a question and then still providing new information at the same time. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Hey guys, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here. We're hanging out in Squaw Valley for the Spartan Media Fest, sponsored by ATP Science. And speaking of science, we wanted to answer a couple questions here. I've got two and the guys will chime in with a few more. So the first one here is from Dave. <clears throat> Thank you for sending the question, Dave. It says, what do you think about the wristband monitors such as Whoop and apps available for devices like the Apple Watch as far as accuracy? The Whoop uses an algorithm to rate your level of recovery. I've been using an HRV app on my watch, but it just gives me the raw number and trends. But the real question is what is considered good? What is important to monitor? Trends, raw number, Relative to yesterday's workout, sleep. Uh, also wondering if meditation helps. Thank you. Very grateful for the... Oh, All that said, I am grateful coffee caffeine is not a problem. So for this one, I think it depends on what device you're actually using. The literature on even wrist monitors. So I have a Garmin, which I really like. But for heart rate accuracy, it's depends on the rate range of where you're at. So even on the Garmin, which I've tested a bunch of times, you can look at data on other ones too. As you go up in heart rate, it is not as accurate. It usually tends to under-report heart rate, and it's also really slow. So my Garmin's pretty accurate at a low heart rate, but when I do exercise, it'll routinely under-report my max by about 20 to 30 beats at least. And that's because it's using an optical off of the wrist and it's just really slow. The good part around it though is if you have uh, Apple Watch or something similar, you can get an old school heart rate strap and then you can actually pair it to your watch. So when I do some exercise that I want to be accurate, uh, like the Garmin's nice, it'll do GPS, everything else is really great. I'll pair it to the heart rate strap and that'll pull the electrical signal off like the old polar and that's actually pretty accurate. So that's a way you can get around it. Um, for heart rate variability, um, there are other devices, like you had mentioned the Whoop. Uh, the Whoop device, as far as I'm aware, is still using the optical off of the wrist. And so far to date, I'd like to see more data on that, but I'm not super convinced that that'll be accurate. Again, maybe they found a way around it. Uh, I tried contacting them. I haven't heard anything back on uh, specifics. Um, I know some clients who have it and really seem to enjoy it. Um, but in terms of accuracy and that type of thing, I haven't been able to cross-validate that with anything else. Um, HRV in general off of a watch and optical off the wrist, I don't really trust yet. Um, because to do HRV correctly, you need to be within a couple milliseconds 
of finding that peak R wave. Um, I have used the Aura ring, which is actually very accurate for HRV, but that's doing an optical signal off of the finger. And you can actually map out the whole waveform on that. Uh, so your question is, what is good to monitor? I like looking at the daily one, but I like that looking at in context with the trend. So the two questions I'll look at is, is my trend going up or down? Is it showing I'm becoming more stressed or less stressed? Um, so I use the iFleet primarily for that. I'll give you a seven-day trend. And then I'll look at the daily one. And from that, I'll kind of decide what I should do, right? Because HRV for prediction of acute exercise performance is actually not very good. So I think of it as looking at the cost of everything that you're doing. So if my trend is showing down, my daily number is showing down, i.e. I'm more stressed, I'm probably not going to push it real hard in the gym because I know that it may take me longer to recover. Not that my acute performance will always be bad. And then I can flip that and go the other way. So if I look at someone's HRV and everything is going pretty good, their trend is staying about neutral, all their stresses are probably going to be okay at that point. Um, and I do find that sleep makes a big difference. Uh, probably number one thing I've noticed from using HRV, very few people I've found so far can get away with chronically low sleep. Um, anytime they get more sleep, their HRV will be better. The caveat on that is there's a delay. So initially, I got five hours of sleep when I was doing HRV, and it said, hey, everything is great. I'm like, oh, this piece of crap's not working at all. But I realized I didn't have much of a sleep debt at that point. Consequently, I would sleep in for 10 hours on the weekend. My HRV would show that it was not very good. And that's probably because I needed to sleep in that long. Therefore, I was probably under a higher amount of stress. So sleep can have some weird delays on that. Uh, last part of the question, uh, does meditation help? Um, I would say yes. I mean, there's some very good acute data. Um, does meditation then translate into better HRV overall? I would say it can, but in my experience, you probably need 10 to 20-ish minutes a day or even more. And I'm not so sure that that amount of meditation is uh, helpful in terms of an acute intervention. But I think it's extremely helpful to have a period of time during the day in which you can compare back to and realize what your stress level is during the day. So I'd be interested in more studies to see, is it the actual act of, say, doing meditation for 20 minutes? Or is it that now you had that period of being quiet so that when you become more stressed later in the day, you actually have a higher level of awareness and are more likely to change it? Um, but either way, I do find that it is beneficial. So... Thank you very much for your questions, Dave. Greatly appreciate it. If you have any follow-ups on that, let us know. Uh, question number two here comes from Kessa. Uh, what do you would you guys mind discussing the concept of fascial slings in your podcast? I've seen some other coaches giving information on it, but it seems somewhat pseudoscientific to me. Is there any evidence to support the sling concept? If so. Does that impact training? Thank you very much for everything you guys do. So there's some pretty good data on the concept of fascial slings. Um, you can look up uh, some of the work from Tom Myers under anatomy trains. And I've done a bunch of work under Tom. I've done uh, five-day fresh tissue dissections uh, three different times in addition to uh, having taught anatomy and physiology in the past. 
And by fascial slings, they're just referring to how force is being transferred through the body, through both muscles and tendons and fascia. So you can think of fascia as kind of a, an extension of the soft tissue in the body. So one of the main ones you can look at is something called the back force transmission line. So if I go out and I start running and I'm starting with my right leg coming out in front, that force is going to go through my leg. It's primarily going to go up the back part of my lower leg, the back part of my upper leg, right? So the whole hamstrings, the adductors, goes up through the glutes, right around the SI joint, so the very bottom of the spine. <clears throat> it's going to cross over to the other side. It's going to go up the back, going to split at the scapula, go into the left side of the head, and then all the way out into the left end of the hand, actually. And this makes sense when you look at someone who's running, right? You've got counterbalancing with the upper limbs and the lower body. And so some of the biggest um, tendons and things that transfer that force are right around the SI joint. Uh, sacroiliac ligament is one of them. Um, you can look at smaller components of that, like the serrape effect, which is the left lat and say the right glute complex. So in terms of fascial slings, there's lots of good data to show that they do exist. The big question then is, I haven't looked at a lot of training programs to make them better. And in my opinion, some of them get to be kind of wacky from what I've seen. All right, so if you want to train, say, the back force transmission line, the best thing to do would be a very highly intelligent program related to sprinting. Because sprinting is going to take advantage of that to all degrees, from movement, also from absorption of force, and having that force kind of go back out again. Right, so if I stretch a rubber band and I let it go, I kind of get a little bit of free energy back into it. So if you look at some studies in sprinters related to properties of the Achilles heel and other soft tissue, right, as they become more efficient, they become a little bit more springy. So they get a little bit more of that free energy being returned. Um, outside of that, there's some data showing soft tissue. You can take collagen at 15 grams, 60 minutes before exercise. Uh, that was done in engineered ligaments by Dr. Keith Barr and Dr. Shaw. So that may help support that system from a nutritional invent intervention. Um, I do like kind of full body lifts. I do like, you know, pressing maybe overhead on my left side and maybe a little bit of a lunge stance or things like that. Um, so I think it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. I'm not entirely convinced that systems that only train fascia are all that beneficial because it's everything's happening together as a big system. So even if you're doing a deadlift or a squat or whatever, you're training pretty much all of your tissue also. And I don't think we know enough about how fascia works specifically to say that this or that program is only training uh, fascia. So that's my thought on that. Thank you very much for the question. Let me know if you have any follow-ups. All right, it looks like we've got a question here uh, from Jason, he just said, hi guys, have you found any data that supports creatine cycling? Uh, I once read something suggesting taking breaks periodically from creatine supplements to allow the body to resensitize, but I, I've been unable to find any further mention of it. Thanks a lot and please keep up the great content. Uh, okay, Jason, I pulled a paper um, from a buddy of ours and his colleagues, actually two buddies, one who sadly just left us, uh, but the, the first author is uh, Ryan Shoke, uh, but also Darren Willoughby and uh, Mike Greenwood, uh, the latter um, who's no longer with us. But here, straight from the horse's mouths, so to speak, as total creatine content increases, uh, 
Creatine transporter content decreases. So almost as if the cell is saying, no thanks, I'm full. Um, Authors suggest that muscle fiber type needs to be taken into account, etc. But let me get into some of the, the weeds here. Previous animal research has reportedly shown a down-regulation of the uh, CREA-T, CREA-T1 is the one that's of interest to us here, uh, expression following long-term creatine supplementation. And they argued that high doses and a huge load would uh, would interfere because, again, the cell is full. But again, that's from animal studies, and that's not quite the same. Uh, Mark Tarnopolsky, who's a very famous MD and exercise physiologist, he actually looked at this very Closely um, to quote, determine whether a moderate term that is two month creatine monohydrate supplementation protocol would downregulate the total amount of creatine uh, transporters in young and elderly individuals uh, who are resistance training. Results concluded uh, that intracellular creatine um, levels were significantly elevated in all the groups, so it worked, they got loaded, uh, but there were no alterations in transporter content. Uh, so it says, in conclusion, creatine supplementation with a simultaneous resistance training protocol, it does effectively raise intracellular creatine, but did not result in a decrease in creatine transporters. So my uh, my background with this was back in grad school, literally in the early 90s, uh, my advisor, Pete Lemon, took us out to Kettering Medical uh Center and we we actually used magnetic resonance spectroscopy to look inside our calves, and six weeks later we were still ninety percent loaded. It really begs the question: How necessary is breaks and then reloads? It's good for supplement companies, right? Because then you go buy another uh, you know container uh, and you go through another loading uh, cycle. Uh, Most of us were remained heavily loaded for six weeks. Uh, you know, really long washout, especially those who are eating meat and getting a little bit of maintenance dose kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I personally, and I think a lot of us here sitting around this table right now, we'll take creatine for a while. Do I take it, you know, three grams a day every single day? Um, no, I do it till a small bottle is gone and then I just don't worry about it for a while. I think maybe the simplest approach is best just not to kind of freak out, but Phil, what a what about your people? I mean, do they cycle? Do you suggest anything? No, not as far as cycling. I think it's a lot of it's where it's one of the few things that I suggest to people along with like a multivitamin, some fish oils and things like that, just because of the the newer research. Well, it's not newer now, but cognitive function, everything else that they found with creatine. I mean, it's just, there's, there's too many benefits and it's too cheap now. Um, but yeah, I'm like you, I, if anything, I just stopped taking it because I'm lazy and didn't buy another bottle yet. And, you know, at one point I bought like a two pound tub, which lasts forever. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I just take a teaspoon a day and like you put it in my coffee and, and go. And then the only reason I'll stop is because I'm out and I just haven't gone on Amazon or wherever and ordered more. So does it trigger you? Like, I know you're going to compete <clears throat> here in several weeks. Does it trigger you to maybe, you know, no, I probably should. <laughs> you okay. know, I haven't been taking any, but who knows? Maybe that'll let me add another five pounds. Oh, there I you go. Taking it. There so, you go. um, yeah, so. Okay. Well, I hope that helps, Jason. Uh, I, I, the cycling idea, I just don't think is that critical. There is a natural inverse relationship, I think, between content in a muscle and the number of transporters, but that doesn't seem to really pan out that much, at least not enough to matter in people. So take your creatine a couple of times a year. I think it's just, it's, 
it's almost motivating, I think. You know, like if you get into heavy training, I'm, I'll start taking my creatine again. And then, you know, just you don't have to do it all the time. It kind of begs the question, why really that you're doing it constantly? So and I think the loading is just all marketing hype. Yeah, you know, mainly. So yeah, it's another reason to buy another, you know, yeah. 20 gram a day. Yeah, yeah so. whatever dose loading dose. Okay. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. All right, it's time for a little round table, I suppose, here. Uh, we're here at Squall Valley Resort, Ski Resort. Beautiful place uh, for the Spartan Media Fest. We're really here for the podcaster, Media Fest, and whatnot. Big event sponsored by ATP Sciences. And we're just going to offer uh, you know, our perceptions and this kind of stuff. Let's start with the beginning of it, Mike, though. Um, you were on the panel and that we heard from earlier. Mm-hmm. How'd you get drawn into that? And you know, how are, why are we here? <laughs> Yeah, so basically in a nutshell, um, I was talking to Anders from Barbell Shrugged and also uh, Doug, and they were saying that there's this big podcast media fest coming up at the Spartan race in fall. Uh, This is when I met up with them at the Granite Games in Minnesota, and we hung out and had some time together, recorded a podcast, and we'll actually be doing an event in Minnesota with them next year coming up. And he said, hey, usually I should, you know, you have a podcast, come on out for this thing. I'm like, well, well, what is it? He's like, oh, I know, you get to hang out in Tahoe, and there's a Spartan <laughs> race going on, and a bunch of people are doing podcasts and a bunch of other stuff. And I'm like, oh, all right, sounds good. So we ended up here. <laughs> 
for me, I guess it was just it's the first time we've ever tried to branch out. Like, you know, we're sort of in a cave, so this is a podcast fitness related thing. Let's cross pollinate with some other podcasters, see what we can learn. Uh, Phil, what's your take on? Obviously, we're niche compared to a lot of these CrossFitters and obstacle course people. What's your take on like the pure strength aspects of what you see here? <laughs> oh God, um, there isn't much. <laughs> uh, no, I mean the things that we've noticed. Uh, I think the big one is just it's the lack of strength, potentially of maximal strength, and how a lot of these people could benefit from it. Like we saw. Numerous competitors have to come. Part of it, one of the obstacle is they get done with a like a monkey bars type thing, and then they have to run over and flip a tire. And it's not that daunting of a tire. It looks like it's probably 250, 300 pounds. And we saw more than a handful of grown ass men not be able to flip the tire. So, and then like I was telling you about earlier, I mean, I would do anything I could to be able to flip that tire because anytime you miss an obstacle, your penalty is 30 burpees. So, I mean, a, a fairly considerable penalty for not being able to do an obstacle. And there were a lot of people that just, they tried to tug on this tire a few times and they gave up and went and did their 30 burpees. So just adding in some maximal strength, I think would be a, a benefit like me and Mike talked about. I mean, they don't have to be powerlifters. We need to get them at, you know, 10% above, 20% above, whatever they're going to have. So they have a little extra in the tank. Like these guys look like on a good day, they'd probably be able to flip that tire fresh. At the end of this race, they had no chance. Um, so there's some room for improvement there for them. Um, we got to sit in and hear about a pull-up challenge. And while the men's was pretty good, I think it was 29. Uh, yeah, I think so. The women's, to win, you had to do one. And they had yeah. not found a girl that could do one yet. So, and I mean, most girls in my gym are knocking out well over that. Um, so just the ability to have... Uh, Making them realize it's not totally endurance idea. So, yeah, our conversation earlier about when you're really strong, everything is so submaximal. Yeah. So when they climb up a rope or they jump or whatever, I mean, nobody's saying that these guys need to weigh 220 pounds, but yeah, they seem like if you're running an obstacle course and you're you're at 80 percent of your maximum strength, yeah. you get gassed. And if you were just stronger, it just seems like a natural message. I don't know if they're like super warmed up to that like to your yeah. point i mean the girls weren't even doing a chin up yes a chin up yeah and it makes you wonder if maybe that's underemphasized um on some level well, it but. seems that way I mean, yeah i mean i trained a couple obstacle course racers um and the one girl i trained in australia who's really good i mean we just had her do her uh test a couple of weeks ago and she got i think 14 chin ups with a neutral grip um so she's doing pretty good in that department um, and even like what we were talking about, Phil, is that obviously at the end, it's pretty cold here. The weather's not super nice today and you're very fatigued and people forget on a tire, like these tires were probably low enough to the ground that you couldn't really push into them and drive them over like kind of a stereotypical strongman tire. So you're kind of using more of a deadlift technique on it. And a lot of times getting your fingers and your hands underneath that tire, you're not really gripping on it. You've got the end of your fingers almost like an open palm exercise to try to lift it so it could very well be that their hand strength is either just mm -hmm. toasted wasn't strong enough to start or they're just not used to doing those open palm uh, positions either when you look at all the obstacles a lot of it is you know very heavy grip intensive 
they had these little monkey bars that were probably 1.7, maybe almost two inches in diameter. And some of them, like when you would get on it, they would spin. So your hand is always in kind of the, a very disadvantageous uh, position, rope climb, another climb, you know, so even though you're doing a lot of stuff, a lot of it is very um, grip intensive too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the, this is hard to kind of uh, phrase maybe, but I don't want to say entitled, but it, it makes you almost glad that the kind of lifting that our listeners do is in a warm interior environment. I mean, I'm not saying oh, it's yeah. easy, but imagine if your hands were so cold and wet and you're trying to lift so, odd objects. Yes. So much harder. Yeah. So much harder. Like numb, you know, yeah, try to that's do. That's where, again, you'd need that extra reserve. You need a buffer. <laughs> yeah. You know, you need to be a 40% better than what they're asking you to do. Right. On yeah. your best day. Um, yeah. No, and I think a person could get away with just watching what we did come towards the end of the race. It seems like there were lots of obstacles stacked together that had some kind of strength component where you could potentially be behind and, and catch people oh, just yeah. because you're stronger coming into those ends. We're hoisting the bag where he, they, had to, yeah. they have to pull a bag up, uh, I don't know, 20 feet or whatever it is by a rope. If you're a little heavier and a little stronger, you're going to kill that thing or flipping the tire or things like that. So. I was I was slightly impressed by that the fact that there was some strength components to this and a stronger person could have an advantageous position come to the end of this thing running up the mountain you're not going to be in you know if I'm a 250 pound dude I'm in trouble <laughs> yeah I, I felt I felt like the muscular strength aspect was just enough resistance to yes. almost task take them to task on muscular endurance maybe yes. yeah. you know yeah and we did see a few people that just motored through the events like it was no problem at yeah. all. And again, there's all different levels of people competing, but even on just the monkey bar one, we saw a guy just kind of fly through it, boom, 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 boom. And he was done in a few seconds, yes. you know, compared to the time it's going to take you to do 30 burpees on that type of obstacle yes. too. So there was a fair amount of people who were very well prepared for it. And you could see them definitely pass other people on the mm -hmm. obstacles. You know, and let's be fair too. I mean, there are some muscular people walking around, not oh, compared to people yeah. at your gym. No, Phil, of but, course, but it's a totally different sport. Yeah. I, mean, I wouldn't expect it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, let's go with that then. I mean, you've organized strength events, Phil. I mean, maybe comment on the size of this relative to strength events. I mean, it's huge. Oh, it's and why is it so huge? Why is it bigger than strength events? You know? Well, I think a lot of that is because, well, let's put it into perspective. Like a big powerlifting meet, you might have 300 people. That's big. In two days. Yeah, that's, and that's big. There's 15,000 athletes here. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and I think a lot of that is just accessibility. Um, like we've seen, what, there's four or five different courses going on, depending on your level and length of it. And, and anything they do is scaled. So if you can't complete an event, all you have to do is do burpees. Who can't do a burpee? They suck, but you can do them. So whereas if you can't squat, you can't lift. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> you're just done. So... Um, there is no like, okay, you couldn't make your squat, so 30 burpees, you get to keep going. That, that doesn't <laughs> exist. So I think it, it's more accessible to the average person like we were talking about. I mean, there's a lot of people walking around here that are just kind of pudgy and don't look like they're in shape at all, but they're able to do this. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. they've, they've set up an event that allows anybody to do it. Um, and that's not saying powerlifting does, but I think a lot of people, I think powerlifting is that way, but a lot of people put themselves out of powerlifting because they don't think they're good enough to do it. They don't realize you could literally enter a meet and squat 95 pounds, bench 50 pounds, and deadlift 95 pounds, and they're going to let you do that. People just don't allow themselves to do that. Um, no, I mean, it just put it in perspective how big, how niche powerlifting and strength sports really is. 
and how big endurance-based stuff is. I mean, coming to an event like this, still, to this day, it's just so much larger. Yeah. I, I've often said that I think powerlifting has a lower barrier to entry than bodybuilding because you don't yeah. diet for half a year. Yeah. But this is even essentially lower. And I'm not going to say – I'm not saying this is it can't be brutal. I mean oh, some of this yeah, stuff no. really scales yeah. up brutal. But the, the barrier for entry, like you said, some of these guys, narrow shoulders, no arm mass, kind of a little, little pot belly, and they're still doing it. They're yeah. still drawn to it. Now, the truth is they could do that in powerlifting too if they wanted to after – after a year or two or three, they're not going to be quite as frail looking anymore. Yeah, exactly. But Mike, what's your thoughts about this? Like the size of it and the, the accessibility and all that. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with Phil saying the perception, right? And I think people do want a challenge and they want to see other people that are similar to them enter it. And I think they want to see a progression, right? So if you look at like some of the professionals of your racing today and tomorrow, I mean, it's just, it's batshit crazy. I mean, these people are running up and down a mountain at ungodly fast times, flying through obstacles. Um, but there's a lot of other people who are below that. There are some people who have never done a race um, before. I think they've done a very good job of marketing that it's very accessible. If you yes. put the time and effort in, you can start here at a, sh- a shorter distance. Mm-hmm. Like Phil said, if you can't, if there's some obstacle you can't complete, you can do burpees. So there's a way for you, if you try hard enough, to kind of put the time and effort in to actually complete it. And then obviously, if you want to take it as a be a professional, that's a whole another spectrum. But I think as an outside looking in for like powerlifting, it's like, oh, my God. I remember the first meet I ever did. I'm like, um, my squat is like less than my bench press. Like, can I even do a meet? They're like, well, yeah, of course you can. Yeah. I'm like, I feel kind of weird. But it was only a full meet was the only option then. So I'm like, OK. And I went and everyone was super fine. Everyone is like super helpful. And it went well. But. I think there's still that perception of, ooh, this is too daunting. I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough. Not I don't, enough yeah, I don't do a double body weight deadlift or squat yet, so I can't do a meet. Mm-hmm. It's not true, but I think there's that perception yes. still. I think one other point, just to be fair, is the million dollar prize if you meet certain criteria. <laughs> yeah. Like you're not going to no. see that in powerlifting. No, right? no, I mean money's no. coming along in powerlifting. I mean we're seeing meets where you win twenty, thirty thousand, but a million, that's a, a whole different level. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just one last topic as we kind of pan through the, some of this stuff that we've been experiencing, but um, we got a swag bag. And I mean, that's th- that kind of yeah. stuff has diminished, I think. Like, we used to go to the Arnold Classic, we were talking, it used to be yeah. like a trick or treating event, and you'd, cu- you'd leave there with, you know, 50 bucks or more worth of t shirts and supplements and stuff. But um, you were trying some stuff, Phil. Like, what, 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 tell us about what was in the bag. Yeah, well, Mike <laughs> took a picture of it or a video of me <laughs> chewing this collagen thing. Yeah. But that was pretty horrible. Yeah. Um, it was basically like a whole tray of Jello they put in a dehydrator and <laughs> condensed down into a two inch by four inch bar. Um, yeah, that was bad. But uh, you know, we got everything from dog treats to you know the vitamins to pre workouts to nitro coffee, everything else. So no, it's good. It's good seeing that. Yeah. So. And it's nice to see actually companies stepping up and sponsoring events too, and because that's a big expense on on their part too. Because, and I think it's probably hopefully a win win for for everyone too. But if you're doing raw powerlifting, it's like what what really is there to sponsor per well, se? You know, there's gear and stuff like that. Where here you can go everything from nutritional supplements to gear to lifestyle to clothing. I think the opportunities for sponsorship are also a little bit wider. Well, yeah. I mean, look at the athletes. Yeah. Again, th- 300 athletes on a good day or yeah. 15,000. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a reason they're sponsoring this. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. 
You know, this now this is my bias, right? But as somebody who's interested and in, trained in nutrition, is that sometimes I feel like what you see, like there's an outdoor expo, and you know we're walking around and we're checking all this stuff out, and you know the trying not to be judgmental and stuff, but I I feel like some of the stuff was great, like the caveman coffee stuff, and you know, and uh, but when I when I see some things in more mainstream sports, they seem. Um, either differently or somehow less evolved a little bit than some of the places that bodybuilding supplements have gone. I'm not saying all bodybuilding supplements are like, you know, super refined functional food evidence-based stuff, but it's interesting to see sort of the, I don't know, maybe the different attitude or something. Did Any thoughts from you, Mike? Yeah, and I think it's probably because it's relatively newer too. So you're going to see, you know, different things. And, um, and we even saw this a little bit when we went to Japan a couple of years ago, right? We went to Gold's Gym and you walked in and you're like, wow, what are the, the supplements are from 1984? You know, so certain areas have sort of, I think, just different progression. And, you know, obstacle course racing is still relatively new. I mean, we saw the same progression with CrossFit. I mean, think of all the supplements early on for CrossFit compared to what they are now. I would say they're much more kind of more basics, a little bit more mainstream now, where 10 years ago it was all sorts of weird, crazy niche stuff. I think yeah. it may just be a common evolution that shows up with that too. Yeah, probably so. I, I think in bodybuilding, there's in powerlifting too. I imagine there's sort of the salty old guard. After after decades of looking at supplements and the wild claims and everything, you become skeptical. Yeah. You know, and I think, like you said, because it may be the maturational state, but this is also it's the it's the rapid growth, like yes. this is exponential growth. So people are coming into this. They're just really excited, like what Phil and I were just talking about, like guys that they don't look necessarily that fit. You think they're going to have the wherewithal to to dig into the ingredients of something like a you know a pre workout or or something like and look for you know something that's probably evidence based. You really can't expect that. They're they're a little green, I guess. Yeah. Well, and that's the same thing with the athlete pool we're talking about. Yeah. You're generally a little more advanced if you enter a powerlifting meet. Whereas this event is accessible to anybody. Like you could have, I could have probably, done the I could have, technically. yes, I could have done, or I could have never done an endurance event and went out here and did the short one. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, somebody that just, you know, doesn't do anything could do it. And, yeah. you know, you wouldn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> You'd <laughs> have a hell of a time. You wouldn't do the mashes. Like I said, Mike said, you know, there's a professional level. I wouldn't expect any of those guys to not be able to flip the tires. Yeah, so yeah, we're looking yeah. at different levels of people. Yeah. But if we're talking about the average level, yeah, I mean, I think that the, their experience level is lower than you would see at a powerlifting meter. Sort of from that barrier to entry thing too. Yes, there's skill involved with a lot of this stuff, oh, yeah. but a lot of this stuff is it, it, it's almost basic human function like movements, like jogging, moving laterally along some monkey bars. You know, things whereas like for example, a squat. I'm not sure you're going to have anybody straight off the street who's never had a bar on their back no. say, give that a shot, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is a type of event where you could, I could literally pull somebody off the street and say, try the, try the obstacle. Mm-hmm. And they could probably do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they couldn't, they get to do their burpees. <laughs> the, one, the one thing I think that there is a commonality with pure strength athletes is like they laugh a little bit about the almost self-abusive nature of it. You know, like it draws people who are, for whatever reason, really into challenging themselves and some kind of self-improvement yeah. and that sort of thing. So. Well, yeah, this is more of a – literally, it's more of a punishment event than mm-hmm. anything. It's can you endure the punishment that you're about to go through? Because mm-hmm. you can do it. You know, it's just how much is it going to suck? So, I mean, like, like me and Mike could go out there and run the course now. It would take me like six hours. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I'd make it through. <laughs> I would run through events. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean – 
And I think there is that accessibility of popular things that people want the sort of badge of honor to say, I did, you know, this, or I did that. And people know offhand that it's hard. And I think there's more admiration, I would say, for doing an obstacle course race than even a powerlifting meet. Because most people like to say, hey, what are the three lifts in a powerlifting meet? I bet you most people could, maybe they get one, maybe they get the bench press. Yeah. You know, or if they say, hey, I completed X obstacle course race. They're like, wow, that's cool. Like someone can identify more with that and kind of has this picture of the difficulty that that person went through. And if I tell someone I did a grip sport competition in Finland, they're like, what? Yeah. What are you talking about? They pick up little tiny objects with weird hands. Like, okay, whatever. You know, like yeah. no one has any idea what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> well, you can't ignore the cult mentality of it either. Yes. And the marketing yeah. behind it. Like you see them at the starting line, there's 200 people. We are Spartans, blah, blah. They want yeah. to be part of that group. Oh, definitely. You know, they're looking for that label. Definitely. And so. Yeah, the, the identity sort yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, I saw one guy come by on a, one of the, the fat tire bikes. I don't even know what they're called. People are yeah. going to rip on me for this. But uh, he's, you know, 50 ish. Um, he's got, he's just head to toe. He's got the helmet, he's got yeah. the gear, he's got, all, you know, all the spandex stuff. And I'm like, He's just really eager to belong, yes. sort of. Yes. You know, and I'm not. Well, maybe it is a little judgmental. I'm not being hateful about it. I'm just saying, you know, he's drawn here to be, to, to feel like he's yes. part of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And CrossFit did a great job with yes. that in terms of marketing community, and I think powerlifting and other gyms do a good job of that once you're in. But I don't know what your guys' thought are, but I think the barrier to entry is perceived to be higher than what it is. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've hung out with a lot of powerlifters, strongmen, grip people, and they're like some of the nicest people you'd ever meet in your life. But as an outsider looking in, you're like, there's a bunch of scary looking people. I don't oh. know if they're going to like me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tattoos and beards. Yeah. And what, what did Phil say about neck tats? Like, yeah. it used to mean I, I'm going to kill you. And now it's like, let's have coffee. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at it. You walk in my gym and yeah. every girl is squatting over 315. Yeah. That's pretty daunting. Yeah, walk. that can be intimidating. Yeah, most dudes walk in there. That's intimidating. intimidating. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me too. So, yeah, of course. So. All right. Well, I th- again, just some thoughts as we you know hung out here and seeing where we could be ambassadors, I guess, for strength or size and how that plays in with this. I mean, it's not their main goal, but it's something I think the cross pollinating can be good and you know um, just the opportunity to you know Mike was on the panel and you know get the word out about the podcast and that sort of thing. So yeah, you um, can make the opposite argument too that I mean a lot of the lifters I work with, one of the basic things we do is have them get more of an aerobic base. Yes, because they can't even recover from the yes. training that they're doing now because their aerobic system is so detrained. Well, and what did Phil just say about burpees? Like, yeah. I, I would think a lot of our people would be, gravitate towards something like this with some resistance component yes. for their for their aerobic base. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, it's it's just like uh, you know, I've worked with pure marathon runners, which is totally endurance. Yeah. At least this has some aspect, and they can benefit from strength training. Yes, you know, and that's it, they don't realize this. And it's just getting the word out there. I mean, something like this could greatly benefit from some strength training. Now, it's not getting you up to 250 pounds. Let's keep you light, but let me make you maximally stronger. So you yeah. have a little Relative. more of the tank. Yes. So. Yeah. For me, I think it was also just seeing what some of the other podcasters are doing. Yeah. and Like, what's their focus? Is it education? Is it gossip? Is it whatever it might be? So... I don't know. I would suggest people just look around for that hashtag. Was it Spartan Media Fest? Yeah, Spartan Media Fest. And see what the other people, you know, in this fitness podcasting genre uh, are doing. Um, it's just an exploding category. We're sort of the 
well, maybe not just literally, but <laughs> the old men of the, <laughs> uh, of, the, of the genre, I guess, and to see what other people – not like everybody here is just a, a noob in the last year or two either, but it's – you know, I learned a little bit about podcasting, so – Okay, well, that's going to be it. So that was a patchwork episode for everybody. Uh, we'll just catch up with you next week with the regularly scheduled programming. Cool. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, in their thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each Hall of Iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.